Today on Awaken to Grace, we introduce a brand new series called The Life of Joseph. And I know that so many of you listening, like me, you're going to be able to find yourself somewhere in the life of Joseph. We chose to call this series Providence because every step that the Bible records in Joseph's life, we see providence. And if you look into your own life, if you look over your own past, I'm sure that you can see the providence of God. You can see the hand of God with you. Well, today we're going to talk about dysfunctional homes. And the main point is that God redeemed Joseph out of a dysfunctional family. And the point we're walking away from today is that God still redeems people from dysfunctional homes. The way you maybe grew up isn't the way you have to be today. It's not how you have to raise your children today. So I know there's a great deal you're going to learn from today's principles, and I hope that you'll follow along with us. We're going to be in Genesis 37, and this is the introduction to Joseph's life. Today we began a journey, a six-week journey, on the life of Joseph. Now, I am so excited to share his life with you and lay out many principles that you and I can implement into our own lives, into our own families. And it's my prayer today, while today is a very different sermon from what I typically preach, I'm praying that the Lord speaks into your life. And I realize that there in an audience like this, and especially those who watch, those who listen online, there are so many different situations within the audience today. I know, I know that the Lord is going to speak in many different ways, and I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to do just that. Now, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37, and we're actually only going to be in a few verses that we look at in detail. Uh, Really, today is going to span the entire chapter of Genesis 37, and I'll walk you through just a bit of that. But we're really going to focus only on one uh, primary scripture, and the reason why is because I want to show you the history of how Joseph grew up. If you and I are going to appreciate the full context of Joseph's story, then we not only have to understand the early part of Genesis 37, but we have to go back much further than that to understand some of his family history. And the premise of today, what the point of today is going to be, is that Joseph lived, he grew up, in one of the most dysfunctional families I think we'll find on record. Uh, Joseph grew up in an incredibly dysfunctional home. And my point today is that in all of the counseling that the Lord allows me to do, uh, I'll just be honest with you, and and not just one-on-one counseling, but just in, in my conversations with people, I think... Today, it's more common that people are growing up in a dysfunctional home than not. Would you agree with that? And to be honest and to be fair, I think it's always been that way. I think in generations past, I think many have grown up in dysfunctional homes. I think just generations before us were better at hiding it. 
but I think it was there. And why has dysfunction always been there? Because sin has always been there. And so what I appreciate, I'll just share with you very transparently, one thing that I appreciate as a Bible teacher, as someone who not only studies but teaches the Bible, uh, even as a career, as a living, let me tell you what I appreciate, not only in that but in my pastoral ministry but also in my personal life. I appreciate how transparent the Bible is. You know, sometimes I think if I were the Lord and I wanted people to believe in my word and I wanted people to follow my word, I don't know if I would put bad things in it. I don't know if I would show the horrible mistakes that people made. I think I would have made it a lot more rosy. But that's not what the Bible does. You know, the Bible shows us so many of the mistakes, so many of the sins of God's people It shows us this. And it shows us this so that you and I have the opportunity to avoid it. And so today I want to talk to families. Now perhaps you're here today and you're single. Perhaps you're here today and you don't have children. And you go, oh, well, you know, that doesn't apply to me. No, no. You're you're going to find some things that apply. But today, very heavily, I want to talk to families. And I want to show you, this is the premise. God redeemed Joseph out of, out of a dysfunctional home. And I want to say to those of you who perhaps you grew up in dysfunction, perhaps you grew up in a home life that was absolutely a mess, perhaps you grew up under an abusive father or a neglective mother, or perhaps you grew up in a family that overlooked you or told you you would never be anything in life. Perhaps you grew up in a home of favoritism where your sibling was far more favored than what you have ever been. Whatever the case, There are all kinds of situations in our audience today. And whatever the case is, this is what I want to say to you. God redeems people out of dysfunction. And that may be the way that you grew up, but that doesn't mean that's who you have to be today. Joseph grew up under one of the most dysfunctional homes recorded in the Bible, but that's not the way he ended up. He changed his story. God's grace, God's providence changed his story. And so today, if you grew up in a dysfunctional home or you grew up in whatever kind of mess, I want you to know today there's hope for your life. There's hope in the way your home life is. There's hope in the way you raise your children, in the way you steer your grandchildren. There is hope today because God redeems people out of dysfunction. Amen? And that's what God did for Joseph. So we begin in his story in chapter 37. Now let me tell you a few things about Joseph that you should note. And you may need to turn me down just a bit in in the system. Uh, Let me share with you a few things that I think is very important for you to know and to understand when we talk about Joseph's life. Number one, I want you to know that the Bible divides Joseph, his life, into three sections. 
The first section is here in Genesis chapter 37. It's uh, ages 0 to 17. And today we're going to cover that section. We're going to talk about his early life and what set the stage for the rest of his life. But number two, you need to know the next section of his life. He's in Egypt, and this is between the ages of 17 and the age of 30. Joseph suffered incredible affliction. Joseph went through all kinds of testings, and we're going to get into all of this throughout our series. He was, hired, he, was, he was purchased as a slave by Potiphar, very high-ranking government official in Egypt, and Potiphar's wife tried to get him to have an affair with her, and when he refused the affair, she cried rape, and she falsely accused him of rape, and he was thrown into the king's prison. I think of all the sermons of the series, I'm looking forward to that one the most. We're going to call it the king's prison. Amen. When God has you somewhere on purpose. And here Joseph finds himself as a young man throughout his 20s, imprisoned falsely, rotting in an Egyptian prison. But God was with him. The Bible says the Lord was with him. And then... Joseph ends up standing before Pharaoh and he interprets some pretty serious dreams for Pharaoh and he's promoted all the way to prime minister and then begins the last recorded section of his life, which is age 30 until his death. And there we see how God worked within his family and the reuniting of his family and his father and the forgiveness of his brothers. And, and you know, Joseph lived, I want you to know this, Joseph lived 80 years in that last section of his life. From the age of 30, he lived 80 more years. And you know what the point is? Because he forgave his brothers, because there was forgiveness in his life, God blessed those 80 years tremendously. What if Joseph hadn't have forgave? What if he had revenge in his heart? And what if he hadn't have forgave? What would those 80 years have been? But no, because he forgave and because he, the, he did the right thing, the, the last 80 years of his life was immensely blessed by the Lord. I think that's significant. And so what I love about the life of Joseph, what I love about his story is throughout this study, you and I are gonna see every human emotion we're going to see jealousy. We're going to see betrayal. We're going to see uh, temptation and false accusations. We're going to see isolation. We're going to see love. We're going to see forgiveness. We're going to cover all of these emotions are in the life of Joseph. I think it's interesting that when we look at the book of Genesis, there are such incredible characters. I mean, for crying out loud, we have Adam and Eve, right? We have Noah who escaped the flood. We have Enoch. I mean, we have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I mean, there are such massive characters found in the book of Genesis. But I want you to think about this throughout our study. It's the life of Joseph that has more chapters and more content dedicated to his life than anyone else. Isn't that fascinating? Do you know why? Because the Lord has so much to teach us out of the life of Joseph. His life covers from chapter 37 all the way to chapter 50. 
and I've given us six weeks to study it. I'm going, oh, Lord, I should have done 20 weeks. We need, we need 50 weeks. We're going to cram it all in six weeks, all right? And the Lord's going to help us. So to understand when Joseph comes on this scene, is it okay if I just give you a little crash course in Jewish history for a moment? Will you, will you go with me through some of the details? Because if you don't understand the world in which Joseph is born, if you don't understand the home life into which Joseph is born, you're not going to fully appreciate chapter 37. For his brothers to hate him the way that they did, you've got to understand how he grew up. Today we're going to talk about the major mistakes that Jacob made as a parent. We're going to talk about how he created dysfunction within his home, but the dysfunction goes way back even further than his father, Jacob. It actually goes back to his great-grandfather, Abraham. Now, we know what scripture teaches about Abraham. Abraham was the friend of God. Abraham was a pagan, and he lived in the land of Ur, and he worshiped other gods. And one day, God called Abraham out of the land of Ur and said, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to make you a father of many nations, and you're going to go to the land that I tell you to go. And the Bible says that by faith, Abraham obeyed God. And Abraham went and his wife, Sarah, and they were promised that they would be the, the parents to many nations, but yet Sarah was barren and she couldn't have children. And not having children in that day was much different when it comes to culture than it is in our day. The pain may be the same, but the cultural view of it was far different. And so Sarah was barren. She wasn't able to have children, but yet God promised them a son named Isaac. And in their old age, God waited 25 years before he fulfilled his word. Well, Sarah thought she would help God out. And how many of you know when we help God, we, all we do is create a mess. God doesn't need our help, amen? amen? And when we start to help God, things fall apart. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. We are to trust the Lord. Well, Sarah does a very dumb thing. She says, Abraham, why don't you sleep with my, uh, with my uh, maidservant, Hagar, since I can't have children. Let's, let's help God. What a mess. So Abraham takes Hagar, and they have a son together, and his name is Ishmael. But then in God's timing, God fulfilled his word, and along came Isaac. Isaac was the promise. Isaac was what God promised to them. So Isaac and Ishmael are brothers and they're growing up in the same home and you're talking about dysfunction. And one day Sarah notices that Ishmael made fun of Isaac and thus began an eternal civil rivalry. And Sarah said, that's it, I'm done. Hagar's out, Ishmael's out. And she, oh, <laughs> And do you know that to this day, you and I are watching this civil rivalry play out? You see, Ishmael was the father of the Arab people. Isaac is the father of the Jewish people. And are these two siblings not fighting to our very day? Well, here, the Bible is going to follow the narrative of Isaac. Why? Because Isaac's the promise. Isaac is 
the chosen one of the Lord. So as we follow his narrative, watch how the dysfunction continues. So Isaac is going to meet a very lovely lady named Rebecca. And Isaac and Rebecca are going to wed. And I love their love story. It's fascinating. If you've never read it, you should read. Turn TV off. This stuff is fascinating. So Isaac meets Rebecca and they fall in love and get married. Well, they have two boys, and guess what their names are? Esau and Jacob. And oh, what a mess this is. You're talking about dysfunction. And the problem that Isaac and Rebekah had is that they played favorites. And Isaac favored Esau, and Rebekah favored Jacob. And it pitted them against each other. And they were very different. And those of you who have uh, multiple children, isn't it something how children can be raised in the exact same home, the exact same environment, and be totally different? And Jacob and Esau were completely different. The Bible says that Jacob, uh, uh, that Esau was very hairy and that he was a hunter. I picture him being a man's man. You know what I mean? I bet, I mean, I just picture him just always with a bow and arrow and with a deer slung over his shoulder, right? Chewing tobacco or something. I don't know. You know, he just, I picture him, I pick, you know, I... (laughs) You know, he's the one with the big light on, on his camel, right? The big redneck, whatever those things are called, you know? And Jacob was completely different. Jacob was more in the home, and apparently he was more around the kitchen, and Jacob could really cook. And one day the Bible says that Esau came in from hunting, and he was famished, and he was so hungry, and Jacob had been cooking, and Jacob had a bowl of stew, and Esau said, what would you take for that bowl of stew? And Jacob said, I want your birthright. Now today, in our culture, a birthright isn't anything what a birthright was in that culture. Birthright was everything. And Esau sold everything for one moment of pleasure, for one bowl of stew. How many people have sacrificed their marriage They've sacrificed their good name. They've sacrificed their career. They've sacrificed their money. They've sacrificed their testimony. How many pastors have traded their ministry over one bowl of stew? Don't ever make that mistake. He gave it all away for one moment of pleasure. Well, Isaac favored Esau, Rebecca favored Jacob. And so Rebecca comes up with an idea on how to trick Esau, uh, how to trick her husband Isaac. Ugh, dysfunction, dysfunction, so that Jacob would get the blessing. Now, these matters go far deeper than what I'm even telling you. You read Romans 9, and it even plays out into Romans 9. It's fascinating. But long story short, Jacob steals the blessing. He steals the birthright. And that's why today it's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Esau is going to kill Jacob, so Jacob has to leave. He's got to flee. He heads north. Well, well, let me tell you what the Bible says about Jacob. Now, this is Joseph's father, Jacob. The Bible says he's a liar. 
The Bible, his actual very name, Jacob, means trickster, deceiver. And that's exactly who Jacob was. He'd swindle you so fast, you'd be swindled before you realized what happened. Oh, but you know what happens to deceivers? Sometimes in life, they run into a bigger deceiver than they are. You got five minutes for me to tell you the story? Let me tell you what happens. So Jacob goes north, and there he meets a man named Laban, and Laban has got a daughter, and he is smitten. This boy is in love, and her name is Rachel. Rachel was beautiful, lovely. And he's so in love that he goes to Laban and he says, Laban, I'm willing to do anything to win the hand of your daughter. What could I do that you would give her to me in marriage? And you know what Laban does? Oh, he's a bigger swindler than even Jacob. Laban says, work seven years for me. And at the end of the seven years, you can marry my daughter. I bet Jacob thought, I thought we were going to trade some goats or something, (laughs) camels. What is this? Seven years of labor, and at the end, you can marry Rachel. Well, he was so in love, he did it. He worked seven hard years to marry Rachel. Well, again, you and I can't appreciate everything because of our culture today. It's far different than that culture then, but in that culture, when they were wed, She was completely veiled. Well, guess what the swindler Laban did? Laban had another daughter who was not quite so attractive. And her name was Leah. And poor Leah. If my heart goes out to anyone in the Bible, it's Leah. Her father Laban makes her marry Jacob. And on their wedding night, Jacob doesn't know it, but he's not marrying Rachel. He's marrying her sister, her less attractive sister, her sister that he's not in love with, Leah. Jacob goes to Laban and says, "What? I want Rachel. And you know what Laban, that swindler, says? Work seven more years. And do you know what Jacob did? Because he loved Rachel, he worked 14 years to get her. I think to myself, how difficult were those seven years for Leah? Always being second place, always being in the back seat. Dysfunction. Now, all of this is important for you to understand the world into which Joseph comes. Abraham and Sarah had Ishmael and Isaac and all the dysfunction. Isaac and Rebekah had Esau and Jacob and oh, the dysfunction. And now Jacob and Rachel, along with Leah, were incredible dysfunction. So like Sarah, Rachel's unable to have children. She's barren. And again, this is a major, major issue in this world in which we're talking. She's unable to have children, and, but Leah is quite fertile. Leah's having children left and right. 
And as a matter of fact, when we pick up here in chapter 37, not only is Joseph, he's 17, but at this point, he has 12 adult brothers, 12. I'm trying to figure out what to do with two boys. Could you imagine have 12 boys, 12 of them? (laughs) Hard to pass, somebody said. (laughs) 12. Well, here's what you and I have to understand. What ruined Jacob's home was the way he handled his children, the way he handled them as a father. And I want to warn us today, I want to caution us today that we avoid the huge mistakes that Jacob made. So when we pick up, here's where where I want to pick up. Chapter 37 Jacob and his family come into the land of Canaan. Now, very quickly, there's just a couple more details that you need to know to get you to Genesis 37. When Jacob leaves Laban, he has all these children. He's very prosperous. God has blessed him because in spite of his poor decisions, he's still who God chose and God blesses him. And they come down to the land of Canaan because that's where Jacob wants to raise his family. That's where he belongs. Well, on the way to Canaan, there are three huge tragedies that happen, and you may want to note them. Number one, I want you to note this. Rachel dies on the way to Canaan. His beloved wife, the love of his life, the woman that he worked 14 years for, She was able to give birth to Joseph, and she named him Joseph, and the actual name Joseph means, may the Lord add to me. She wanted more children. That's what was in her heart. And the Lord gave her one more son, Benjamin. But sadly, Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. And there, the heartbroken Jacob had to bury his wife on the way to Canaan. That was the first tragedy. The second tragedy happened in a place called Sheshem. Sheshem is going to come into play in chapter 37. At Sheshem, what a tragedy. We're going to see the many mistakes of Jacob today, but here was one major one. At Sheshem, one of his daughters, Dinah, was raped by the prince of Sheshem. It was the older 12 brothers who were so irate by the raping of their sister that they gathered, they plotted, and they gathered the men of Sheshem and they murdered them. Now you think of the devastation this family is walking through and the sin that is coming as a result. And do you know what the father Jacob did? Are you ready for this? Do you know what he did? Nothing. Rather than the Bible, the Bible says rather than him weeping over the victimization of his daughter or rather than him weeping over the sins of his sons, rather than him calling a family meeting and say, we're not going to do that. We're not these people. No. Do you know what the Bible says he was concerned about? His reputation his public relation. He was concerned on how people in the, 
in the surrounding area would see him. He was all about himself. Not the good of his family. And so they're on their way to to Canaan and Rachel has now died, which was devastating. And now this great sin uh, at Sheshem with the rape of his daughter and the killing that his sons did. And now, now the third tragedy, Reuben, his oldest son. Do you know the sin that Reuben committed? He slept with one of Jacob's wives. He committed incest within the family. And again, do you know what Jacob did? Nothing. He addressed it, but not until his deathbed, and it was far too late then. So today I want to lay out for you mistakes that Jacob made. And what you need to understand as we walk into Genesis chapter 37 is that Jacob has been filled with trickery, filled with deceit. He has done things very wrongly, and now he is getting ready. You know the old saying, you you, uh, uh, sow to the wind, and what do you reap? The whirlwind. And he's getting ready to reap the whirlwind because of the mistakes that he made. Genesis chapter 37, verse number 3. I want you to look at it with me. It says... Now, Israel, which means Jacob, if you don't know that part of Jacob's story, you need to know that God wrestled one night, an entire night with Jacob until he submitted Jacob all the way down to the ground. And God changed his name that night. The name Jacob means trickster, deceiver, but the name Israel means my beloved. And God changed his name that night. And going forward, Jacob was called Israel. So the Bible says in verse 3, Genesis 37, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. My friends, that's a huge problem. And that's where I want to dig in today. It says that Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made for him a robe of many colors. Verse 4, and when his brothers heard that his, or knew that his father, that their father loved him more than any of his other brothers, listen to what the Bible says in verse 4. They hated him. They hated Joseph. And they could not speak peacefully to him. We're talking about complete dysfunction in the home. We're talking about complete rivalry, complete hatred. Well, today, let me give you three mistakes that Jacob made with Joseph and his brothers. Number one, if you're going to take notes, I want you to note, number one, the first mistake that I want you to note is that Jacob was passive as a father. When it comes to our children, when it comes to our grandchildren, let me tell you the one thing that we cannot afford to be, and that's passive. Because Jacob was so passive in the dealing with his children, again, you can read the family line. You can read the history. What happened at Sheshem? He did absolutely nothing. As hatred grows between his sons and Joseph, three times, three times in this one chapter, it's going to tell us that Joseph's brothers hated him. And do you know what Jacob did about it? Absolutely nothing. 
And I know in my heart that I am speaking to people today who you love Jesus and you want to follow the Lord and you're trying, to, you're trying your best to make your life right with God. But when it comes to parenting, when it comes to how you deal with your children, you're way too hands off. And you're way too passive. My friends, let this story be a great caution to us that we cannot be passive as parents. We got to discipline and we've got to speak into their lives. If your children are young, if your children are still uh, where you're rearing them and you're raising them, you ought to be the strongest voice in their life. And discipline matters in your home. We're living in a culture today that we've thrown discipline out the window. And you don't have to be very smart and you don't even have to be spiritual to look at at society today and see what the results are of no discipline in the home. I heard someone say one time, please raise your kids right because all of us have to live with them when they get older, right? And today, if you're a parent and you say, well, I don't know how I feel about discipline and, you know, I don't know. I don't don't know if I agree with, let me tell you, take a biblical view and not only look at what the Bible says pro-discipline, but look at what happens to families when there are, when there is no discipline in the home and take it as a warning. It's been well said by many people. It's far easier for you to control your five-year-old to control a 15-year-old. And if you can't control them when they're five, if you can't control them when they're eight, and you can't control them when they're three, you will not control them when they're 13, 15, and 18. So take it to heart. Take it to heart. The Bible has so many instructions for us as parents And do we get it right every time? Absolutely not. But we should take serious what the Bible says concerning discipline. And let me share with you parents, oh, how critical this is. Your children, particularly if they're very young, let me tell you, they're going to view God the way they view you. Say, Chad, what do you mean? Let me tell you the truth, my friend. If your children will not obey you, they will not obey God. If they will not listen to you, they will not listen to God Almighty. And for many of us, what does God have to do to us? (laughs) He's got to break something, doesn't he? And you know what it's called? Our will. How many of you, God's broken your will before? I can't see your hands. <laughs> Say amen if God's broken your will before. And if you, don't, if you don't train your child now, don't reap the whirlwind. Train them now. Now what if your children are grown? Well, let me give a word here, and I want to be careful. You know, one of my greatest concerns as I look into the future, one of my greatest concerns is 
what, what, will my children follow the Lord as adults? I pray they do more than anything. I'd rather my children be uneducated and follow Jesus and go to heaven than to be highly educated and go straight to hell. Amen. Amen. But being a pastor doesn't guarantee that my children will follow the Lord. As a matter of fact, if history is any record to look at, it's actually against me. Right? You heard about preacher kids, hadn't you? You know why preacher kids are the way they are? It's called the deacon's kids. That's what I hear. I don't know. I'm not sure. (laughs) I just had three deacons quit. (laughs) But there is no guarantee that my children are going to follow the Lord as adults. But let me, can I just share my heart with you right now, Pastor Worley? Can I just share my heart? Let me tell you the greatest tragedy in my view as a pastor, and I've been doing this for a minute now. Let me tell you, in the 18 years that I've been a pastor, let me tell you in my view the greatest tragedy I see. I see parents with adult children who have walked away from God and parents sign a peace treaty with the devil. They don't confront sin. They accept the sins of their children. Let me challenge you. Let me encourage you. Let me caution you. Do not accept the sins of your children. Am I saying be mean to them? No, 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 no. But what I'm saying is, If you have adult children who have walked away from God, don't be passive over their sin. You should be the strongest intercessor in their life. You should be speaking over them, fasting over them, praying over them. You should grab hold of the altar of God and absolutely not let go until God moves in their life. If you don't intercede for them, who will? Who will? And some of you need to fast over your adult children. Some of you need to speak vision into their life. You say, Chad, I don't know. I don't know how to talk to my kid anymore. I mean, they're an adult and they won't listen to me. I don't know what to, no. You speak vision into them. You know what vision is? You know what vision is? Vision is what could be. Vision is what should be. And vision is what by God's grace will be. Amen? And when you talk to your kids and they're deep into sin, you talk to them and you say, you're not always going to be this way. God's going to get, I'm telling you, God, God's going to change your life. God, I'm praying too hard. I'm believing God. I am trusting that God's going to bring a change into you. And don't lay down and take the sins of your kids intercede for them go into spiritual warfare on their behalf and whatever you do don't sign a peace treaty with the devil intercede amen the number one mistake of joseph number one was the passivity of his parenting are you too passive as a parent do you accept too much sin 
Some of you need to go home today and you need to clean your home out. And I don't care if your kid is 17. I don't care if they're 16 or 15 or 10 or whatever. You need to clean your home out. Amen? And don't be passive as a parent because it is to the destruction of your kids as we see in the Bible. Number two, oh, oh, what a mistake. Jacob played favorites. Notice what the text says. He loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Is there ever a more disappointing statement of a parent than that right there? But yet I know in my heart and I'm not throwing stones at you today, brothers and sisters. I promise you, I'm, I'm preaching today out of a tender pastoral heart. I don't say this to throw stones, but you and I need the great caution that we do not play favorites with our children. And how easy that is to do. Am I right or am I wrong? Some children are easier to raise than others. <laughs> Come on now. Is that the God's honest truth today? Some kids are just easier. And if you're not careful, you'll gravitate to them. If you're not careful, you'll favor them more. Oh, be careful. What did Jacob do? He made for Joseph a coat of many colors. Let me tell you what scholars tell us about this coat. I think it's fascinating. So we know this coat was flashy and it was vibrant and it was of many colors. But when you read the Hebrew scripture here, when you get into the original language of the Hebrew text, there, there's uh, uh, what, what it tells us is that it mentions with this robe or this coat, whatever you would want to call it, it goes down to the wrist and it goes down to the ankles. Now, I want you to think about this. Now, you know, uh, you, 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 you've got 12 strapping young men, and what are you going to do with those young men? You're going to put them to work, right? Especially in this culture, maybe not in today's culture, but in that culture, they're going to work. Well, if you're in the Middle East, and you know the climate of the Middle East, you think you're going to go out there in a long robe and work? No, they wore sleeveless tunics because of the temperature, because of the climate. And do you know what Joseph, do you know what Jacob is telling his son Joseph? And do you know what Jacob is telling all of his other sons when he presented Joseph with this beautiful, flashy, decorative, ornate coat of many colors that went all the way down to his wrists, all the way down to his ankles? You know what he's telling his son? You don't have to work like your brother's. You're not like them. You don't have to do what your brothers have to do. Friends, Jacob destroyed his family with favoritism. And where did Jacob get it from? His mama, Rebecca, who showed him favoritism. Where did that come from? Sarah who showed favoritism. Favoritism will destroy 
families. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you grew up in a home where you were not the favorite. And you know the pain and you know the hurt that it caused. Some of you grew up in a home where you were the favorite. Oh, how God needs to bring peace and healing to your home. Amen. Don't allow the sin of favoritism to drive a wedge in your children. What a word of caution from the Bible today. Can you believe the Bible shows us all this? And why does it show us? So that you and I can avoid it. So not only was Jacob passive in his parenting, not only did he play favorites in his parenting, but then lastly today, He tolerated, he allowed anger, jealousy, hatred, and strife to be in the home. I I, I don't understand how the Bible can say three times in this one chapter that Joseph's brothers hated him and Jacob didn't see it. I don't think there's any way that he could not have seen it. I think he ignored it. Now, let's walk a little deeper into the text as I finish today. So Joseph's going to go on and have these two incredible dreams. It amazes me that what we find in Canaan in his adolescence, we're going to find in his adulthood in Egypt. The fact of a coat getting him in trouble, (laughs) because that's what Potiphar's wife used to make a false accusation. She grabbed him, and the boy ran out of his coat to get away from her. And then she grabbed his coat and said, he tried to rape me. And boy, those coats got Joseph in trouble, didn't they? And now dreams Dreams are going to follow him into the king's prison. Dreams, it's going to be dreams that bring him before Pharaoh later on in Genesis. But what's the point? The point is that Joseph has these dreams that that uh, that the 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 sheaths and the uh, stars and the uh, sun and moon that everything's bowing down to him. He has these two dreams. The Bible says it made his brothers hate him even more. Well, one day, now, again, I gave you history because you got to link it. So one day, Joseph's brothers are out with, the, with their father's flocks. Where's Joseph? Remember what I said? Joseph didn't have to work like his brothers. Joseph had the long coat on in, in the Middle East. And so where are the brothers? Well, the brothers are supposed to be in Sheshem. You remember what happened in Sheshem? The rape of Dinah, their sister, and the murder of these men. And that's where they're supposed to be with the flocks. Why would they go there? Bizarre. But that's not the point. Here's the point. All of a sudden, Jacob starts to get concerned. And Jacob tells Joseph, I need you to go and check on your brothers and check on the herd and come back and give a report. Why did he send Joseph? You know what I think? I think the past sins and the fact that he was so passive as a father 
He began to worry about that. If they're in Sheshem, are they in trouble? If something gone wrong, I better send Joseph. Oh, what a mistake. So he sends Joseph and they're not there. They're actually in another area and Joseph finally finds them. And the Bible says that when his brothers saw him coming from a long distance, they said, oh, here comes that dreamer. And the Bible says they began to conspire against him because they hated him. And when Joseph got near them, the Bible says that they came up with a plan to get rid of him. And the Bible says the first thing they did was they tore that coat of many colors off of him. This thing was like a powder keg just ready to explode. And Jacob lit the fuse. They ripped his coat of many colors off and they were going to kill him. But they said there's no sense in killing him. He's our brother. He's our flesh. Why have his blood on our hands? Let's throw him in a pit. And so they throw him into a deep pit. And once they throw him into the pit, the Bible said they all sat down to eat. No guilty conscience there. And while they're eating and trying to decide what to do with their brother, here comes Ishmaelites coming down to go to Egypt to trade. And it was a caravan of traders. And they're going to go down to Egypt and try to make some money. And they go, that's what we'll do. We'll sell our brother as a slave. And sure enough, the Bible says they sold him for 20 shekels of silver, which was the price of a handicapped slave of that day. And they sold him into slavery. Now, this is where we're going to leave Joseph today. The Bible says at the end of chapter 37 that, that caravan took him to Egypt. Now, you gotta, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta think about this. He's 17 years old. He doesn't know the language. He doesn't know the culture. He's been ripped away from his father and any protection he's ever known in his life. But yet God's gonna go with him. We're gonna call this series Providence, the life of Joseph. And it's my aim to show you that in every step of Joseph's life, the providence of God was there. Amen.